Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Live Longer, the podcast. Joining me for series two, The Art of Living. And this is again in conjunction with Homerton Changemakers Programme and Hand in Hand with Iona, a healthcare company that I set up with a number of colleagues to enable people live longer, healthier lives. And today I've got a lovely gentleman in studio with me. I've known this man for quite a long time. In fact, he'll probably kill me for telling this on air, but he was my youngest daughter's nanny at one point and she loved him as all of us did as well. I hear him giggling in the background. But he um, was a sports scholar at Kingswood School in Bath and secured a place to study um, sports science at Edinburgh University, but quickly found his calling and switched to psychology. Having graduated in psychology from uh, University of Edinburgh, he then found his true calling as a director photographer. And I was talking to his family. He comes from a family of entrepreneurs and creative individuals. And I was talking to his mother recently who happened to mention his Instagram page to me. And when I went on, I could not believe the metamorphosis in this person. The photographs are simply stunning. He aspires to be a director and he's already doing some directing and photography, although he's very early in his career. And I think we need to watch this space. So join me in welcoming Oscar J. Ryan. Oscar, welcome. Thank you, Millie. I'm glad you snuck in the bit about me being a male nanny early on. <laughs> it's very good to have a broad portfolio to boast absolutely, about. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Some of my strongest work, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you certainly saved me that summer when I was working a single working mother and you really saved my bacon at times. Thank you, Oscar. <laughs> You're welcome. So look, um, there has been a major transformation in what you were doing since all those years ago um, from rugby sports scholar, turned psychologist, turned director photographer. Do you want to tell me how you found this calling for photography? I think I think there certainly was an element of a, of a general enjoyment of it and a general passion. But I think that um, the only real sense of a career came much later. I think it started with just being passionate and watching and enjoying films and the, the old Sergio Leone westerns and the spaghetti westerns with Clint Eastwood and Butch Casting and Sundance Kid was just something that obviously me and my dad used to share that experience together when I was much younger. And I think that enjoyment of seeing films being made and, and that sort of sense and the behind the scenes stuff always interested me. But I don't think at school I was sort of ever really, I, I mean, it was sort of, you were never really allowed near the art block really if you couldn't draw. It was one of those things. It was, and I, and I couldn't, I was crap. I was crap at art. I could never really sort of do anything like that. And so it was sort of at school, if you're, playing a lot of sport and rugby and you're there to just sort of I guess kick the shit out of other boys and, and be a be a manly man you um you you don't really see yourself as being a I guess a director anytime soon and and um I think that's probably my uh like not a regret but I think I, I would love to have pursued it earlier on and but I think the whole point of the journey of it always that you find it at the right time and then you you go for it then yeah, because you, you committed early to a career in sports science, didn't you, in Edinburgh, but then quickly after the first year realised you weren't really doing what your passion was and you, you just like sport for a hobby rather than following it as a career. Was that right? Yeah, so I so I went, uh, I just took a year out before university to, I had my place at Edinburgh and thought I'd take a year out and uh, went over to Australia and was playing rugby out there, did a season out there in Sydney, which was amazing, great experience. And sort of while I was over there, um, even though I sort of was very interested in the science of sport and 
high performance and elite level um, rugby and performance. I just sort of found myself being more and more involved in sort of watching and making and creating, I guess, visual work. And whether that was films or, or for photography, then uh, I just wanted to do more of that. And I think I want, didn't want to go down the sports science route because I felt like it wasn't as broad as something like psychology with something like psychology. I felt like I could take the broadness of it and the stuff that I learned in that into filmmaking, into my photography, which, uh, which I would know I was going to do on the side and, and just teach myself whilst at university in Edinburgh. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. I mean, understanding human nature, you know, you're going to get the most out of people, be it making a film or a portrait or, or whatever you're focusing on. Understanding that individual is probably key and studying that will give you an in-depth richness about your work. Oh, absolutely. I think it was also just I enjoyed human behavior and enjoyed looking at it, observing it and learning more about it. I think whether it's extreme behavior, sort of like uh, like addiction or any sort of so antisocial behavior, that was something that really like, really sort of stood out to me and learning about why that happens and how it happens and, and how we can help that. Or if it was just like a very general thing that we could, um, it was sort of uh, looking at people and and uh, and sort of then taking that into how I wanted to sort of visualise something in a film or, or a photograph. Do you think that's what helps you put your subjects in kind of, you know, unusual perspectives, poses? Let's take that wonderful picture of the girl with the large pink shoes and then she's quite miniature in compared to the shoes. Yeah, um, I think I think with something like that, I think what what you're what you're trying to do is you're just trying to you're working with someone that was sort of a collaboration with a with a designer and uh, and a stylist and sort of an, uh, a model called Magda Kaczmarski who's doing some amazing work at the moment. And um, so yeah, so with something like that, you sort of you, you we sort of looked at the outfit, we sort of decided how we want to do it and sort of what what would work, and decided very quickly that it would work on a much wider lens and get that full perspective sort of it blow it slightly out of proportion and make it look a little bit stranger than it would in real life and I think um I don't think that's necessarily a decision that you learn from studying psychology I think that's just a decision you you get when you sort of have experienced things and you see things and and hopefully you start to see things a different way I guess um with uh without um, flattering myself too much I think it's yeah you sort of just you just I guess it's then just a gut decision and you just go on instincts rather um rather than anything else yeah, I mean, certainly in your work, you bring out a different perspective. That's just one example. Another example I thought was there was this girl and she was sitting all alone by herself on the top of um, a wall about to jump off. And I think your caption was very telling. So you bring words, perspective, position, you know, all together to, to create a story. Is that what you're trying to do behind some of these photographs to create a story? I, f I think for sure. I think a lot of the work that I do is is with musicians, with artists, or or uh, models on a sort of uh, I guess in 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 the fashion photography stuff that I do. Um, and I think that the sort of it's not necessarily about telling a narrative per se. It's more about just conveying that person's emotions or or just them in them themselves and them being genuine. Um, so it's sort of not necessarily about just making someone look as cool as possible. And it and and that's certainly an element of it. And uh, and I sort of feel that sometimes these projects can be like a little bit of a vanity project for everyone involved. But but then actually, if you if you want to do it properly, you can get down to it and really and really find something that actually 
when you're done, this person goes, that's me. That That's exactly it. That's what I wanted to show. And I think that finding that relationship with someone and building that over a very small period of time is something that I really enjoy. And because when you're shooting with someone and you're filming with someone and you're, and you're writing with someone, it's, it's a very intense sort of process. Um, and I think that's why you become quite close with people. Um, well, when working with them in sort of these sort of uh, creative industries, because it's, it's such an intense like uh, period of time and that you've got to get it and you've got to get out and, and make sure you've got it and, and bring out the best in someone and they make sure they bring out the best in you as well. I mean, and clearly you're very personable. I can attest to that because I've known you and your family for such a long time, but you probably, endear, your subjects are endeared to you. So that probably enables you to kind of gain their trust. And do you think trust is a big part of bringing the best out of a photograph? I think so. I think that there's a couple of ways you can approach it. There's, there's, a, there's, there's one way of you actually, you, you want to make someone feel as comfortable as possible so you can bring out them naturally and you see, so they don't, so they don't feel nervous. But there's also quite a lot of, there's quite a nice way of getting it with actually someone slightly uncomfortable or they don't feel right. But that's probably more of the, the documentary stuff if you were to do that. With more of the sort of musician portraits, you're trying to bring out a real attitude and a real, and a real sort of, uh, sort of positivity from them and themselves, how they want to be perceived as well. Whereas with the portrait stuff, you almost want it to be as natural as possible. So you don't really want to be in front of the lens. You just sort of are just an observer and you're just looking through it and you're just trying to trying to find that shot that you go, oh, that's it. That is what I've seen. And that's what I want to show people. Mm. But you do do um, mini documentaries, don't you? You did that wonderful one with Budweiser. I mean, I think the story behind that's very powerful if you were able to share it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully that's coming out very soon. I mean, it's a... It was a documentary that we we did with someone that I've actually now been become very close friends with. Louis, he's a musician, Louis the Third, um, very very talented boy, and um, I think they were in, they were interested on in the story that that I pitched them was Louis was born in Croydon, sort of um, to a sort of very normal family, and that um, was never sort of I guess obviously had big aspirations, but of, often people born into um, sort of places in London and sort of don't have the opportunity that others are handed with then from there did well at school and then went on to Cambridge which I guess around that area is slightly unheard of so from from Cambridge then started writing and doing his own music and uploaded onto SoundCloud and sort of blew up from there and then what that was while he was studying I guess classics and ancient Greek and Latin or whatever it was um so gone in gone from that into music and then I, I think he's sort of carved, he's just carved his own way in the music industry, which is just amazing to see. And sort of him being such a multifaceted person with his sort of his uh, positivity and his uh, and his support for something like Pride and him being a queer person himself. That that was just there was so many elements to this amazing kid that that I sort of started to build a relationship with. And he was such a nice guy that we just thought we just got to show this. And, and, and Budweiser agreed. And we, we're nearly there with it now after a long process. Amazing. <laughs> well, I'm sure he'll listen to this podcast and he'll be tickled to know that we are doing this in conjunction with Homerton Changemakers. And maybe he can help the changemaking movement because the whole purpose is, you know, not everybody is fortunate to get fantastic education or get any education at all. And, you know, he was able to break those barriers and get into a, a very elite education establishment and then what does one do with that that's the point of to change makers how can you change the world how can you help other people and that's what we're trying to do here today by exploring lots of these issues and your collaboration it may open other opportunities for future documentaries together absolutely i'll, I'll make sure that he he's, he listens to it as 
I listen to all his stuff, so he bloody better listen to this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you touched on bigger issues. I did notice your Black Lives BLM photograph, which was very powerful, dark, but powerful. You know, what was going through your head when you were photographing some of those images? It was very moving. And I think, I mean, as, as somebody that has has led, compared to most, a, a very, I guess it's understanding how privileged you are and and I mean, there's no no person has it easy throughout their life. There's no such thing as that. But there are opportunities given to some people that others don't have. And so I think it's about just just making sure that trying to level that playing field in, in any way you can. And and it's difficult for anyone, let alone the people that are sort of really sort of struggling from day one. So I think that that is always a problem. And I think with something like that, with a movement like that, I just sort of just latched onto it quite quickly and uh, my flatmate was was is huge on it and written some written a fantastic piece the Glasgow Times as a as a Jamaican living in Glasgow and and so sort of we went together and we sort of shared that experience and it was it was a really emotional day really and as someone that sort of wanted to just photograph it and just be part of it it was it was sort of just wanted to observe really and the vibe between that and then I went to the anti black lives matter movement to photograph there um, which was a very different experience, not one I would ever want to do again. It was quite scary compared to the the positive change that the the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, wants to gain from it, wants to get from from what it does. And and so yeah, so I was just there and and sort of followed a, gr- a group of people and spoke to them and spoke about their experiences and and they were very kind enough to let me take their photo and and uh, just went from there really and uh, and just wanted to share that and if anyone wanted to sort of said if anyone wants to use that for whatever then please take it I just don't it just don't own the rights to it just just use it and slap it wherever it wants to go and and hopefully it was taken in in the right way for the right reasons that's really really good and it's through understanding other people's difficulty in life that we gain understandings of our own difficulties and you touched on it there saying you know no matter if you come from background of privilege or not everybody has their own troubles and you struggled with your your own emotions didn't you at one point in time for sure and for sure and i think that, that i think that was about that was about second year of uni went through i guess a a traumatic experience that felt like a huge setback and sort of felt like everything whilst at uni was became a difficult thing and um and uh was very hard to sort of get over for numerous reasons and i think the photography and the sort of writing and the sort of start creating stuff and was just this huge distraction that worked amazingly well it was and maybe that's why i just i carried on because it was just it was it was just a distraction at first and it was something that i could do and dig my teeth into and go let's go for it like there's nothing else I could do that well, so let's let's give it a crack. So I think uh, it was a real distraction that I felt was just the most amazing way to pull you out of a really dark place, and just being able to see something differently, or or going out and just putting your eye through a camera piece and and through a lens and just see nothing apart from what is in that focal range is something that I don't think you can replicate with anything else probably much better than some of the CBT that you were being taught at university for psychology. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I think that was the funny thing is somebody studying psychology and then stu- and then struggling with uh, with <laughs> something uh, to do with mental health was, was an interesting one. But um, I think the best way to sort of get over stuff like that or, or certainly work on it is by getting outside and getting out there and meeting people, talking to people, sharing their stories, sharing your stories and 
exercising and combining that with something you're passionate about. In my case, it was it was photography and and sort of and going headfirst into that and no hold no like sort of just go absolutely ham on it. And yeah, it it uh, it really really helped, and I'm incredibly grateful that I found that at the right time because uh, without that, who knows. I mean, you were lucky to find it because not everybody finds their purpose so quickly. And, you know, many people go through their whole life and don't know their purpose. And um, and also when you're in darkness, it's hard to see the light. So what was it that enabled you to see the light? I mean, was it your parents, their background in creative industries? Was it a friend? Did you buy a camera? I mean, how did you find this at that dark time? Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, a combination of all those things, really. It was through having an incredibly supportive and amazing family. That was number one. That was always knew we could get through anything together. And then it was a, a fantastic group of friends that was just a safety net that I lived with. And then there was, a, and then people around me as well that just supported everything I did, no matter what I wanted to do, no matter what stupid thing I wanted to do or how I wanted to do it. It was, it was full blown support that, actually you can't really ask for much more in, in friends and family. So that, that was obviously number one. And, and then, uh, yeah, I just had, to, I guess, picked up the camera that I bought when I was much younger and carried it on and picked it up a bit more and just started teaching myself. I guess it was watching YouTube tutorials and reading books on it and just going to galleries, seeing what other people had shot and yeah, and just, just teaching yourself it. And, and I think with, I think a lot of people get too bogged down in, especially with the photography of the technical aspect. I think the technical aspect is the easiest thing. So don't worry about sort of buying the most expensive camera. Just buy a camera, just buy something. And I think I've said to a couple of people, and I get slightly frustrated with people saying, oh, start on your, take photos on your phone. And I think there's a really sort of bad way of going about it. I think you should, because there's so many distractions on your phone, you, you get messages pop up, you get you're, you, you're still, you're still looking at a screen. You're still seeing everything else. What you need is the absolute, the eyepiece of the camera that you can look through and see only what is in that field of view. And from there, I think that you can, you just see everything so differently and it's a very strange feeling and it's a very strange thing. But, uh, I think it's just, I, th I think it solves so many problems, but um, that's just me. <laughs> well, you know, you bring up a good point about taking up your camera. We all have cameras. We're getting better and better phones with better and better cameras on them. And it takes me back to Dan White, who I interviewed earlier on in, in the last season. And he said, you know, photography can help you, but put down your phone, look down, look up, look around you, bring your camera, photograph. It doesn't have to be an expensive camera. It could be a throwaway camera, couldn't it? Mm, absolutely. I mean, I'm, we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it, of being on the bus or in a taxi or something and, and just sit on my phone and wait until I get to the destination. But I think it takes a conscious decision, especially nowadays, to go actually stick that stick that on airplane mode for a bit, stick it in my pocket, have a coffee sat outside and just watch the world go by and just people watch. And we, we all love doing doing that. Right? Sort of, you're almost guessing what people do and what stories they have and everything like that. And and you can see some really interesting things unfold and you don't have to do anything with what you see. You don't have to photograph it. You don't have to sort of write it down, but just 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 observe it. And uh, I think, yeah, and I think it, it, it making sure that you can use anything you've got, whether it's a disposable camera that you can get for a fiver and then go and take it into boots and get some and it's and it's actual film prints of it is is amazing or you can get a cheap digital camera and just churn through photos and take loads and you can take as many as you want and delete them get rid of them edit the new ones the ones that you like 
and go through it that way. And both are, are beautiful processes. So, and then finding your little niche and finding your way to do it and that little workflow, there's just a, is a really nice way of finding out who you are as a creative. Yes, of course. And what you've touched on there is that simply taking the photograph isn't the end. And other photographers have told me, um, I'm interviewing Sarah Moorhead Alwood, who's a very, very famous hip surgeon, but she's a photographer. And she um, had me in her house the other night showing me her collection, all printed out. And she said, you just have to see them. And you told me as well, they're not really photographed until they're printed. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I think this adds Andy Warhol quote, I think a photograph isn't a photograph until it's printed. And I think I think it's true. I, I really do. I think you, we see so much on screens now. I'm see, I'm sat in front of my laptop now looking at looking at bits and pieces and it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel tangible. I think as soon as you're holding something and you can see and it's two sided, you can move it and it's you can stick on a wall. That's when you sort of feel, OK, right, this is actually work. This is a piece. This is an actual thing that somebody can walk up to and see. And so, yeah, so I think it's really important to to print stuff out, get stuff in posters. And I mean, turning around in my room now and there's bits of pieces that I've took that are more, I guess, more personal to me of family and friends that I've got around the flat. And and yeah, I think they're they're really it's really important to do. But of course, social media is a necessary evil because that's, of course, one of the ways that you reach your clientele and your customers to photograph your subjects. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think it's a really good point. And I actually had that conversation with someone at the weekend of of how it's sort of a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that it, it allows so many more people to see your work that otherwise wouldn't be able to and would never have heard of you before. And they can stumble across your work and see it and then go, oh, that's that's all right. Or maybe not. That's not for me. Probably most of the time in my case. But um, they I think you have to use it as a tool rather than something that you become obsessive about. I think the best way to do it, in my opinion, and not to get too hung up on social media is just use it as a use it as a portfolio. Just slap it on there and. If anyone wants to see it, they can. If they don't, then sweet as they just fuck off to someone else. So, like, it's just a wall of art, I guess, or a wall of visual bits of stuff you've made. And um, and that's it, really. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, you know, you've been so lucky to find your purpose. You have your passion. You're, you're, you're really, you know, building up a portfolio. Where is all this going? I mean, how do you want to change the world, Oscar? Cool, big question. <laughs> I don't want to you know me, I'm going to ask you the difficult questions. The tough one, you save that, didn't you? Um, yeah. So for, I think I guess it's I guess what I do now. It's it's for it's for other people. It's it's stuff is very personal to me as well. But I do music videos and sort of commercial stuff and things like that, which I love and and I think they they can be. You can find some really great work in there and it's and it's good fun you can be incredibly creative but i think i think the the end goal for me is is long form and that is long form narrative and that is film and tv and and i do love documentaries i love the, i love stories of real people that genuine people that you sort of bump into or you hear a story and you go shit that everyone's got to hear that story so somebody's got to hear about that like you we need to tell that and i i i've always loved documentaries i don't know whether i'll just be a I don't think I will be a straight documentary filmmaker, but I certainly like dipping in and out of that. And uh, I think that a good story is a good story, whether it's made up or it's true, it, it's, it doesn't really matter. So yeah, long form and long form narrative and, and hopefully going to sort of writing my own bits and pieces as, as I am doing now on a, on a bigger scale, I guess. 
Mm, that sounds good. Well, you've got plenty of time. But one of the things that you were telling me about was you're, you're still very much in, in touch with what matters and you are very involved as a family, etc. In, in a charity, I Can Dance. And I loved this idea because it does bring art, photography, purpose alive. Tell me a little bit about what was the inspiration behind this and what you got interested in I Can Dance. My family is definitely much more involved than I am with it, and because I've only just moved to London, and and we've we've had uh, we've we're very lucky to have my uncle and aunt, who are both very very talented photographers, Richard and Fiona Bailey, who are fantastic, and they taught me a lot as well. And um, my little cousin Billy Joe has Down syndrome and is just just the most fantastic human being I've ever met. And it was I was with her yesterday actually for her twenty second birthday, which is madness. Mm. And so was talking to them then. And so she's, she's, she used to do it. She's, I think she's a little bit too old now, but I think she can go back and help teach. And when it opens back up after lockdown and my two other cousins, Teji and Sydney, they, they, they volunteer there. And it's basically um, a way of giving, uh, giving these kids with sort of physical disabilities, who's learned difficulties, um, a chance to perform and, and make their own play. And, and I mean, the family go every year or where, when Billy used to do it and the Christ, I don't think it was a, dry in the house after that it was just just amazing and that everyone was just just enthralled by it and the performances are just phenomenal and it's just the most amazing thing that I think it's such a small thing that just makes the world of difference to to everyone involved whether they're volunteering performing or watching you'll have to do a documentary on it I feel one coming up well I mean you funny should say that I was actually talking to Rich my uncle about doing exactly that um, once it opens back up and because it's just such a phenomenal story that, that I'd love more people to see and be a part of, I guess. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, look, Oscar, it's been fantastic talking to you. I mean, I really enjoyed listening to your transformative journey. You know, you're at the early stage in your career. It's going to be so exciting to see where this goes. I'm I'm thinking Oscar nomination, definitely in the future. <laughs> You've got to think big, then you can afford you to You've got to think big. Yeah. Exactly. And for the stars, yeah. And telling the stories, and there's so many stories, and to try and tell the uplifting ones as well, because I think we all need mm. inspiration and hope. And in order to live longer, healthier lives, we need that little extra thing just to just give us a push along that there is, you know, a, a better future out there waiting for us all as we emerge post the pandemic. So thank you so much for your time today, Oscar. Thank you for having me. I was very flattered when you asked me. So thank you, Millie. It means a lot, genuinely. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did. And thank you so much for tuning in today to all my listeners. It was really interesting to hear Oscar's story, a younger person who's overcome challenges in his own life with mental health, who's found his purpose and calling and watch this space in the future. And I encourage you to visit his Instagram page. It's, it's really, really such a talent budding and I can't wait to see where it all goes. And join me next week when I have the pleasure to release the interview on Sarah Moorhead Alwood who is a eminent hip surgeon in London and also a photographer. And her work is truly inspirational. And she really, really captures the essence of time across a range of subjects from India to medical topics to fruit to very, very eclectic taste. And I think she's going to really, really give us some deep insights what's behind the camera lens of an eminent surgeon who takes the camera in her hands. 
And if you do want to leave us any feedback, please feel free to do so at hello at livelongwithpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.